Vampire War for the Second City is a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition actual play podcast presented by DM Fiat with I, Dale, as storyteller. Please be advised that this podcast contains descriptions of gore, depravity, addiction, coercion, and other adult themes. This is not D&D. This is a game where we play monsters of the night who do monstrous things. Welcome back, everyone, to our Vampire War for the Second City campaign. This episode is entitled Safe as Houses, and it takes place four years after we last left off. It's June of the year 2020. You've spent this time finding your place in your undead existence. By no means are you experts on the vampiric state of being, but four years is more than enough time for you to start to fall into the sway of things, to start to learn how kindred society works, and to establish the very start of your presence within it. Melbourne is a city of five million souls, and that's more than enough for a neonate kindred such as yourself to hide, do their own thing, and avoid stepping on anyone else's toes been an interesting time of late. It's 2020, which means we are in the midst of the global pandemic. In the world of darkness, the handling of the pandemic has been quite different. There hasn't been city-wide lockdowns or 
pretty much any meaningful organised response to the pandemic. However, as the casualty rates have climbed, people have started to wisely stay off the streets. And so, with the streets of Melbourne starting to get emptier and emptier, there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for you to associate with other vampires. Vampires tend to not socialise when their food source starts to decline in quantity. So we will start by describing what everyone has been up to during this four-year time skip. We'll go first with Sylvia. Alright, um, well, not much, I suppose. Um, at the very start of the time skip, I suppose, uh, I would have gotten a bit of a scare when I first got my phone back and it didn't seem to work at all. <laughs> um, after which, um, stick around with the coterie for a while, but eventually, likely me or either Father Patrick will find our ways, our ways back to each other. Um, him being the only connection I really have to my past life that I can still interact with. Um, and, you know, despite initial differences, I think we'll eventually start getting along to an extent. Um, and she'll basically do whatever he tells her to do. Yeah. So at first, the relationship was very strained. And when we last left off, things were definitely not on a good note and yet somehow it seems Sylvia has come around and seems to be doing her sire's bidding and it doesn't look as if she's being forced, rather strangely she seems to be doing it willingly so we'll see what comes of that very soon Hope how have your four years gone by? Well a significant part of that was learning how to be Australian or how to fake it enough that she doesn't stand out as much it's still very much a work in progress uh, she has cozied up to Jackie and Sage for the most part Kate if don't give many invites to Elysium so there's been plenty of night hanging out at the Red Star, and frankly, Sage is approachable. Mm -hmm. She tries to be. <laughs> More human than most that have been met in Elysium. But for the most part, Hope has been starting up her businesses. The first one is uh, finding a involves finding a tattoo parlor that doesn't mind that uh, Raphael de Corazon works very weird hours. <laughs> I'm building a reputation there. Raphael is a very machismo, very macho uh, Latino man. Slick back hair and is an easy enough build that Hope can switch to that within the space of like half an hour or so. And uh, he gives extraordinary tattoos that demand a high price. Indeed. So, yeah. 
And he, you know, being Latino, he, he probably also lends a bit of an air of the exotic to this Melbourne tape mm. parlour as well. Bingo. So, yep. as you build your business... That's biz- one business. Oh, yeah. Yep. You've got more going on? Yes, that's right. Go ahead. Yep. The second business is a New Hope Alterations. Mm. Mainly for Kindred and their ghouls and folks in the sphere. New Hope Alterations is cosmic to the well to is a co-partnership with Jackie who handles the management side of things lines up customers and provides security to make sure nobody gets squirrely and it's strictly on a boon ba- trade for boon basis boon for boon yep yep and uh, the men now for the record the coterie is welcome to any alterations on both menus for free and I posted the menus under VTM rules. Yes, I saw that. They range items. from they range from minor cosmetic surgery to doing your hair to implanting an Assassin's Creed style bone knife in your arm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, those are those are the two businesses. So yeah, and so. she's gotten in in with a Melbourne light nightlife such as it is. Yeah. Well, she's she has to um yeah such as it is right now so given that you've been spending a lot of time with sage and jackie would ask you to please make a charisma etiquette or a charisma streetwise role all right well they're both the same same uh number of dice can i boost with blood or no sure can Alright. So, so you put fail that up the rouse check, don't uh, don't increase your hunger yet. Because we have to determine right. what your starting hunger is. So I succeed at the rouse check. Yep. BR six one and the charisma check. I want to spend a willpower you to sure reroll can. three of those. So, with the re-roll, that's a total of three successes. Three successes. So, given that the majority of your clients for your New Hope alterations menu seem to be anarchs, or at least anarch-adjacent, you've picked up a couple of friends in that sphere, and Sage has become your mauler. You may add her as a one-dot mauler. Thank you. In addition, you may also add a two-dot contact. And this two-dot contact is going to be an Anarch-affiliated weapons dealer. All right. Just a couple of... Just to represent a couple of the friendly faces and boons that you've picked up during your work with this promising new enterprise. Ah. So next, we will move to Derek. Derek, how have the four years flown by for you? Ah. Oh, yep. One, one quick thing. One quick 
thing. I did pick up the cobbler merit, which ah, lets me yes. make masks. masks. So if anyone needs a fake identity, I can line that up for you. Yep. Sorry, please proceed. So, the la- so over the four years, you've got the infrastructure for that set up, and you'll be able to start making masks for people in the very next downtime between this story and the next, or during this story if you find the time to do it. Yeah. But you haven't had the time to make any except maybe a couple for, you know, business reasons. Right. So, yeah, Derek, how have these years flown by for you? Uh, they've been fairly, fairly eventful, but not a lot's happened, but some big things. Yeah, so I spent the first few nights trying to basically figure out his place after our first job, just trying to figure out how he was going to fit into his new life. Unlike, uh, and then his musings, he yeah, found a decommissioned church and decided to. Oh, yeah, if I'm gonna have to feed off of people, I might as well feed off the people I choose to instead of just random innocents. <laughs> so he started up, started up a church in heavy air floats, quote unquote, church, yes. And so this family or more accurately a cult is your main source of food you had a bit of an interest in the occult before you became a kindred and now you've sort of leveraged that giving yourself a pretty much endlessly renewable source of blood of course during this time as a tremere you were introduced to the rest of the Melbourne Chantry. All Tremere, of course, being required to, at the very least, have spent some time in the local Chantry and have performed some minor favours for their superiors. The Pyramid died with the fall of Vienna to the Second Inquisition, but the structure of the Tremere in Melbourne remains pretty much unchanged. You are at the bottom, everyone else is above you, and although you've been given leave to do your own thing, you are at the beck and call of the Chantry who may invite you to assist them at any time. And so you've spent a significant amount of the last four years in and out of the Tremere Chantry, which is based in the Sciences Building on the University of Melbourne campus. You've been introduced to Professor Cypher, as he calls himself, the Tremere Primogen and head of the Chantry in the city. He has so far spent just enough time with you to acknowledge your existence and remind you that you serve him. But a couple of the other members of the Chantry have, well, sort of decided to take you under their wing and rather than simply stating that you serve them, have taken an interest in your pursuits and among them a Tremere neonate by the name of Icarus 
who has been instrumental in helping you set up your quote-unquote church. I allowed you to roll off screen to see if you acquire him as a mauler, and you did. However, by bringing other Tremere into your burgeoning cult, you seem to have stepped on the toes of the local ministry, and they've made it quite clear that they do not approve of this, and so you've gained a one-dot enemy among the ministry. So far, they've made no outward attempts to make good on their threats to dismantle your cult or at least force you to pay tribute to them or to bring your cult under their fold. But, well, time means nothing to someone who lives for all eternity. So any day now, they may actually try to ruin your business. So, Shay has not arrived yet, so Dahlia, we don't know what Dahlia's been doing, but I know what Dusty and Desmond have been doing, and both of them have spent their four years pretty much doing their own thing, trying not to step on anybody's toes. Desmond appears to have withdrawn entirely from kindred society. You hear his name every now and then, and from what you've been able to glean, he's gone into business as the owner of a brothel out in the suburbs that seems to Whoa. exclusively employ people who he has taken in off the street, former drug addicts, members of the homeless community. And in his own way, by employing them at his brothel, seems to be propping them up, giving them a place to live and a purpose in life. Although there are many who seem to think that the manner in which he employs them is nothing more than exploitation. Dusty has spent most of the last four years with the local ministry. As such, he seems to have submerged himself within the Anarch community. And you see nothing much of him at all. You know only one thing, and that's that he continues to make video videos on YouTube. Some of them alluding very closely to the existence of vampires and some of them which may be considered masquerade breaches if the Camarilla ever were to find out about them. There's also been a marked shift in the style of his content, whereas he used to do nothing more than, in his own words, destroy conspiracy theorists. Now his videos seem to delve heavily into the topic of ideology, and sometimes almost come across as barely disguised ministry recruitment propaganda. He's making good on his talent to take complex ideas, boil them down into easily accessible packages for the masses. Other things that have happened in the four years. The Second Inquisition. Their involvement in your creation and your early nights have become nothing more than a distant memory. 
Operation Harker never seems to have come to pass. The time frame that you were given by that terrified member of the Inquisition has come and gone, and you've seen no sign of Second Inquisition operations within Melbourne. As such, many kindred seem to believe that the SI has forgotten entirely about its interest in Melbourne, and unlife continues as normal. However, you have heard some very disturbing rumours of the last couple of months, mainly concerning the unexplained disappearances of several kindred, usually fringe members of the community, anarchs, new neonates, people who've been shunned by their clans. Some say they simply up and left went to another domain where they may be more welcome, but in the back of some people's minds, the term Second Inquisition still lingers. Perhaps they might be involved in these disappearances. Finally, very strangely for a group of new neonates, Prince Squizzy Taylor has not seemed to have concerned himself with your existence at all. Although you were promised by Father Patrick at the very least a presentation with Prince Squizzy and nominal acceptance into the Camarilla, none of this seems to have come to pass. This presentation with the Prince never happened. And indeed, the prince doesn't seem to have even taken the time to request confirmation of your presence in the city. He hasn't made you stand before him and pledge your allegiance to him. Rather, he seems to have taken a very hands-off approach and just let you do your own thing. But that changes tonight. The agents of Prince Squizzy have contacted you all. It would seem that now, finally, after four years of not acknowledging your existence, Prince Taylor finally wishes to see you. This is, all circumstances considered, a grand opportunity for you. Most kindred in Melbourne see the prince only from afar, if at all. And it is said that when Prince Taylor takes a personal interest in you, handsome rewards are not far down the path, especially as he rewards loyalty greatly. Indeed, if anything, you are surprised that you've even been considered for a meeting with him, given that there are likely at least a few kindred more suited to be called to meet him during this time. After all, you are simple neonates, new to the unlife of vampires in Melbourne, and up until now, 
your existence hasn't seemed to register as being of much importance to the prince. And so, as your phones vibrate, sending you a message stating that a limousine will be arriving at your haven shortly to collect you and bring you to the prince's mansion in Turak, in the eastern suburbs. How do you each get ready for this meeting? What is your first reaction to learning that finally the prince seems to have taken an interest in you? Um, suppressing panic that he knows where my haven is for the first part. But I guess that was to be expected. Probably a bundle of nerves. Just walking around the department, picking things up, putting them down, rearranging them. Taking a look at the little shrine I've, shrines I built, shaking my head, walking away. Picking out just the right clothes. <laughs> Feeling the itch to rearrange my face and forcing it down. No, it's fine. It's fine. What, what, what clothes does Hope pick for this occasion? Probably the usual stuff she wears, uh, casually, like a jeans jacket, some nice uh, denim pants, a uh, good, uh, a nice blouse that's not too fancy, and so, and of course a row of earrings, row of asymmetrical. Earrings. And then her nerves firing in overdrive. She just waits out in front of the tattoo parlor for this limousine to arrive. Sylvia, you received a message from your sire. And it simply reads, meeting with the prince, look presentable. How do you accomplish this? How do you even react to this missive? Um, well, I suppose I'm fairly used to cryptic messages from Father Patrick at this point, so I will just get dressed, make myself look presentable. I'll probably get um Dorian to help with my makeup and such, seeing as mm. mirrors are no now. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, I'll, I'll get myself looking nice and presentable are uh, fairly plain long sleeve shirts um dress pants all black of course um dark blazer and a silver cross hanging around my neck yes something that you normally wouldn't wear but that which father patrick has insisted that you add to your regular ensemble and if i'm not mistaken sylvia you pose as a mortician now yes that's right so i'll have to take the night off work unfortunately yes you pose as a mortician operating out of the very same chapel where you first met father patrick who no longer uses it as his haven and so you're used to dressing for business but tonight you go ahead and put in the extra mile it is the prince after all derek you hear of the meeting with the prince from Professor Cypher, the Tremere Primogen. 
as he steps into your quote-unquote church, he just looks around, screws up his face as if he's stepped in something awful, and just looks in your direction and he says, Prince Taylor has need of you tonight. Remember, you're representing us. And turns and leaves before you have a chance to even ask questions. How do you prepare for the meeting? Uh, probably a little panicked now that he's all of a sudden wanted to see me. Yeah, it uh, seems to be common to everyone at the moment. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, just like, yeah, getting ready, probably making sure I'm dressed well. Yep. And knowing that you're representing the Chantry, as Professor Cypher said, do you display anything on your person that represents your clan? Uh, I don't know. Is there any like? Is there anything that like? I'd, would they have like a symbol or something they'd wear to show it, or is it just sort of a? Well, you can the trim. You can wear the Tremere. You can wear the Tremere clan symbol as a necklace, for example. And. Not all Tremere do this, but most of them do. They like to show off their affiliation with the clan, or at the very least, they're told to. And so, will you be doing this, or would you prefer for the prince to see you less as a Tremere and more on your own merits? No, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, Derek would want him to be seen more in his own merits, not so much as a Tremere. Yeah. So you just dress up. Um, you do have a clan insignia, but you leave this behind. After all, the prince knows your clan. You don't need to display it openly. And you'd rather, if he takes a shining to you, it's because of your own merits rather than who you happen to be affiliated with. In any event, the prince has sent an impressive black limousine to gather all of you, for he does nothing without style. And as the last of you enters the car, joining the others who are already present in the back seat, Dahlia included, who is dressed in... dressed in her finest, or at least what her strange artist hipster community considers as fine clothing. The driver informs you that your coterie should be in the prince's presence within 10 minutes. And sure enough, after an uneventful, quiet, nervous drive through glowing CBD which even in the midst of the pandemic is still well lit a glowing beacon in the night out into the eastern suburbs the limousine pulls up before a mansion best described as palatial wrought iron gates open into a lavish rolling estate 
at the centre of which stands the prince's opulent home, and maybe his haven. One would think that the home of such an important person would be better guarded, as you don't see any sentries patrolling the grounds, you see no security checkpoints, but you each get a sense that there are unseen security measures at work here. The chauffeur pulls the car into the driveway and opens the door, motioning you towards the daunting double doors of the prince's home. As the last of you exits the vehicle, he pulls away, taillights vanishing into the night as he makes his way back down the long driveway and rounds a corner towards a guest house at the end of the empty street. And so you stand in front of the double doors of the prince's manor. You see a copper knocker on the door and it is carved in the shape of a dragon head. I'm feeling a bit underdressed for this. I think I made a mistake, but that's okay. <laughs> hey guys, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, have we, uh, out of game, I guess, have we left any forms of contact between ourselves? Oh yeah, you we... would have. Yeah, I, I presume you would have. The only two you haven't really been in contact with is Desmond and Dusty, because they've sort of vanished entirely off the Kindred radar. All right. Time to meet the big cheese. Guess we better get not keep them waiting. So Hope grabs the knocker, pulls it back, and lets it go. Bang! 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 Almost instantaneously, the great wooden door begins to creak open. And on the other side stands the prince's manservant. A short, nearly hunchbacked man wearing an old-style Victorian tailcoat. His hair is grey and his withered face marked by a pair of gold horn-rimmed horn spectacles narrows his eyes, looks at each of you in turn, trying to get the gist of you. And then he smiles and he says, Hmm, prompt. Prince Taylor will be most pleased. I'm Standish, by the way. He holds out a hand. That's definitely getting shaken. Pleased to meet you, I'm Hope. As you reach over and shake Standish's hand, you can't help but feel that you're crunching up autumn leaves in your fingers. His skin is hard, leathery. Does anyone not shake Standish's hand? No, I think you're too smart. To, <laughs> I think you're all too smart for that. So you all shake Standish's hand in turn. He ushers you through the doors into an opulent entrance hall, polished Polished white tiles, leather and mahogany furniture. 
wood-panelled walls that are polished to a mirror sheen. And as you walk across the entrance hall following Standish, your footsteps echo on the tiles. Clap, clap, clap. Standish says, Yes, yes, Prince Taylor decided to call for you this night. And he apologizes that it has taken this long. You may not know it, being mere neonates, but there are a lot of things in this city that command the prince's attention, and he has been most busy until just lately. Oh. Oh, that, that, that's... No worries, we've enjoyed the hospitality of the city, and uh, it's been rather pleasant. Indeed, Standish says. You responded about as promptly as I could have expected. From me to you, let me say that's a good thing. Prince Taylor respects those who are reliable, those who are prompt, and above all, those who pay heed to his summons. There are many in the city, even now, who would take his words for granted. You're on, you're off to a good start by not doing that. After following him, Yep, go ahead, Hope. Is there anything else we would be do well to keep in mind when speaking with him? Standish just stops, and then he turns around to face you all, rather than simply looking over his shoulder as he leads you through the mansion. And he says, Hmm. Not a question. I've heard a lot from neonates. But a welcome one. Remember, Prince Taylor is your prince. There is none in the city with more authority than him. And, well, regardless of who you call your friends in these nights, remember that the prince comes before any of them. If you prove to be useful to the prince, give him a reason to value you, he will reward you more richly than any of your so-called friends ever could. He then smiles, a wry smile, and he says, But remember this, despite how he appears, once upon a time, the prince was just like you. He was a neonate at the bottom rung of the kindred ladder, alone in this city. And he too had to climb his way up, make friends, choose who was worthy of his loyalty. And he made the right choices that got him to where he is today. Do not forget, if you make the right choices, there will only be good things for you in the future. 
I see. Thank you. He turns around, continues shuffling you through the mansion, and after a few more moments of following him down a long hallway lined with the red carpet, he pushes open another thick wooden door and ushers you into a small sitting room. This room, even though it seems to only serve as a waiting area, is as opulent as the rest of the manor. There's a priceless painting on the wall. An original banjo Patterson depicting an awe-inspiring view of the outback. The walls are lined with Black leather couches topped with velvet cushions, and somewhere from elsewhere in the manor, classical music wafts into the room ever so softly. And yet, almost imperceptible, there is a cloying hint of death and decay in the air. Standish gestures towards the couches, and he says, Please, please, make yourselves comfortable. I will inform the prince that you are here. And then I will return to collect you. Take this moment to compose yourselves and discuss how you will present yourselves. Remember, this is your presentation to the prince, your chance to make an impression. You only get one chance. Make the most of it. Narrowing his eyes once more. He nods, perhaps to confirm his words to himself, and then he turns, shuffles out of the sitting room and pulls the door shut behind him, leaving you alone. Okay. Does anyone have any idea what this might be about? No. I'm thinking he needs something done. That seems to be the only reason anyone calls me to anything official. Dahlia shrugs and she says, maybe this is optimistic of me, but maybe he just wants to learn our names, meet us. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Um, should we do the standing thing when he comes in? Like, everybody rise? I don't know. I don't even know how to address him. I mean, your highness feels a little uh, sarcastic as well. Um... Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that too. I, was like, I know he's called a prince, but I'm like, do we address him as royalty? Or yeah, like, right? I don't know how any of this works. I still haven't taught this part. I, I talked about him like, like Prince Taylor, so I think... Well, sir is usually safe. Prince Taylor is what he is, so he, he can't really object to that. At this point, Dahlia, who seems to be transfixed on the Banjo Patterson painting, she's just standing with her back to you as she takes in this priceless work of art, casually reveals casually reveals that over the last four years she has spent a lot of time 
with the other Toreadors of Melbourne. And although she is in no way a mover or shaker in the city, she's perhaps had more exposure to the Camarilla than you have, being present at many uh, Toreador functions, most of them organised by Maria Diamante, the Toreador primogen. And she says, the other Toreador simply refer to him as my prince. Oh. Wow, okay. I mean, it works. I have thought of that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. She says, Maria says he's quite personable, actually. Good enough wow. guy once you get to know him, I take it. Although, he is the prince, and, well, I don't know how anyone could possibly be at ease enough to get to know the guy. I mean, wouldn't you constantly be fearing for your life? Hmm. Yes, I currently am. <laughs> personable was not personable was not the read I got off his Wikipedia page, but okay. Indeed, indeed. Okay. You've had yeah. the time to look up oh, yeah. Squizzy Taylor at least once, and yeah, he was the most notorious Melbourne gangster of the 1920s, essentially an Australian Al Capone. Personable is not the word you would use to describe him. But I mean... You know, it's been a hundred years since he was in his prime. Everyone changes. Except, do kindred really change, though, is the question. Most of the kindred you've seen seem to be quite firmly set in whatever time period they were embraced and it's only with determined effort that they are able to pose as human before too long standish returns pushing open the door and silently gesturing for you to follow him rise from your seats and follow him out of the sitting room and he ushers you down another hallway into the prince's sanctum in the heart of the manor house behind yet another set of imposing double wooden doors before you behind an enormous desk of aged mahogany sits a dark-haired man with a piercing gaze. The first thing you notice is his relatively short stature for somebody who would claim to be Prince. Perhaps as short as five foot two. He's definitely one of the shortest people in the room, if not the shortest. And he's dressed in a finely tailored 1920s style business suit, complete with fedora. And although it perfectly fits his frame, as he stands up behind the desk and watches you all shuffle into the room, you almost get the impression that this is not 
how he would prefer to present himself. He looks somewhat out of place in this business suit, almost like someone of humble means dressing up for a special occasion. As you enter the room and Standish pushes the door shut behind you, being the last one to shuffle in, you look around and see two other people present aside from the prince standing to the prince's right about a meter behind him you see a very tall imposing looking man with broad shoulders a dark skinned severe face long shoulder length black hair and an unkempt beard he too is dressed in a form-fitting tailored suit. But he looks even more out of place than the prince. And at the moment, he's just glowering at you, almost glaring. His eyes narrow like an eagle's as he looks at you expressionless. To the prince's left sat down on another black leather couch, a smile on his face as he sees you enter the room. His father, Patrick, he brushes a lock of blonde hair out of his face and silently waves to Sylvia as he sees her enter the room. Looks over at Sylvia and he says, gestures his hand towards her, looks towards the prince and says, presenting Prince Taylor, my child, Sylvia, and her companions. Although they are not mine by blood, I have taken them all under my wing and as you no doubt know by now, they can be incredibly useful when given the right incentives. These last words hang in the air as he looks over at Sylvia, again a cold smile on his face. Do any of you say anything? What do you do? Um, I, don't, just, I don't say anything, but I give one of those, like, as as we're introduced, I sort of give one of those, like, sort of upper body, like, head bows, where, like, you don't fully bow, but it's just sort of like a flight yeah. sort of thing, just the... Yeah, yeah, it's a very awkward, like, semi-bow kind of thing. Yep, so you're uh, all just... I'll, I'll kind of glance over, get the memo a little... Yeah, but just <laughs> quickly bow doing your best to try to look courteous. I will also say I am very pleased to meet you, sir. How would you like us to address you? The prince smiles and then he takes a step forward, coming out from behind the mahogany desk, standing in front of it, leaning back onto its wooden edge, crosses his arms, and he just says, Greetings, my dear friends. 
you may address me however you wish. My prince, Prince Taylor, call me Squizzy if you like, if it suits you. He gestures to the black couch where Father Patrick already sits. He says, please, please have a seat. Make yourselves comfortable. We have much to discuss. Uh, Standish, some refreshments for our guests, please. Standish nods. He turns and shuffles out of the room. As you take your seats next to Father Patrick, who pats the pats the couch next to him, signalling Sylvia to take her seat right next to him, almost uncomfortably close to his lap. Standish, Standish reappears carrying a silver tray topped with crystal glasses. The glasses filled with a red something that looks like blood, but is perhaps a bit darker. He shuffles towards you and offers you the tray. Yeah, I'll take I'll take one. Yep. So at this point, I would ask of you. I know Derek has a herd, so Sylvia and Hope would ask you to please roll a d4 to see what your starting hunger is. Okay. Um, d4. Yep. I don't have any to hand. Let me go get one. No, no, I could roll one here in the channel. We'll just go... Just type exclamation mark D4. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Lucky dice. Exclamation mark D4. One. One. I also got a one. You also got a one. Hey, okay. Hey. And Derek, because you have access to a herd, you will always start a story at one because you'll have the ability to feed from them before the start of the story. How many dots in herd do you have, Derek? Four dots. Four dots. Ooh, you've got a nice, sizable herd there. So I'll take this opportunity to explain resonances. So every time you feed from someone, there is a chance, depending on the emotional state they are in, that there will be a resonance that flavours their blood. This is this is something that provides a specific taste to the blood, but it also gives you a benefit. Each resonance provides a dice bonus to certain disciplines. With your herd of four, four dots, you have 16 to 30 vessels. This means when you drink from them, you are able to pick of from any two resonances at your discretion. So the resonances are as follows. Choleric, which provides bonuses to celerity and potence. Melancholic, which provides bonuses to fortitude and obfuscate. Phlegmatic, which provides bonuses to Auspex and Dominate. 
and Sanguine, which provides bonuses to Blood Sorcery and Presence. Which of these two would you like to be present in your herd? Well, I'll go... What was it? Sanguine? The... Yep, Sanguine for Blood Sorcery and... Blood Sorcery and Presence. Yeah, and then... Phlegmatic <laughs> for Ore Specs and Dominate. Yeah, that one. Okay, so... You've cult carefully cultivated your herd so that between them there's about a 50-50 split of these two resonances. So please go ahead and roll a d10 for me. If it's six or above, you've got sanguine today. If not, it's phlegmatic. Okay. One second. So it's two. Two, lovely. So right now, you are currently rocking a phlegmatic resonance, giving you a one dice bonus to any ore specs or dominate abilities that you use. This lasts until you feed next or reach hunger five. Sylvia okay. and Hope, you currently don't have a resonance as you've fed a bit less recently than Derek. But just the same, I will now get all three of you to please make a rouse check to determine if you got any hungrier when you woke up this night. I got a success. I, in fact, I failed, so I did. So you're up to hunger too. Yep. Success, or no, not. Okay, Unless drinking so, the snifter, that helps. Yeah, <laughs> so hunger one, one, and two. And so you each take one of the crystal glasses off the tray, and you see Father Patrick beside you immediately raise his to his lips and drain the liquid within in a single gulp. Prince Taylor nods appreciatively. Do you pick up oh, on yeah. this cue and drink yourselves? Absolutely. Yep. So yeah. Raise your own glasses to your lips. Take a sip. Unfortunately, the blood is not warm. Much of what would enhance the flavour is absent. It tastes stale, almost completely flavourless. It's clearly not fresh from a vessel. And yet, you can't help but notice the prince watching intently and then smiling and nodding as he sees you take a sip from the glass. It doesn't nourish you, and it doesn't decrease your hunger. But it seems to have impressed the prince. He claps his hands together and then folds his fingers between each other. And he says, Well, friends, good, good. Drink deep, take as much as you need. What's mine is yours. I have much to give to my friends. I've got all this, he gestures around, 
And yet, it's nothing without friends to share it with, is it? He looks over at Father Patrick, and he says, Well, at the very least, they are respectable enough. And, well, they did prove that they were useful when they handled that matter with the Inquisition. Father Patrick nods, he bows his head, and he says, Of course, my prince. Remember, I did promise that I would bring only those who would be useful to you into the fold. Squizzy nods. He looks at the rest of you, his gaze lingering on Sylvia, and he says, Your sire has proven to be quite useful to me these last few years. Has he made you aware of the deal between him and I that convinced me to bring him into the Camarilla? I am not aware of the deal, my prince. Ah, says Squizzy. He smiles. A knowing smile. Flashes a look at Father Patrick. And then he looks back at you and he says, Your sire performed a very important task for me. Handled some... Outstanding business, you could say, that, well, I couldn't trust just anyone with. He was the right person at the right time, and he did an admirable job. But more importantly, your sire made an agreement with me. And that agreement was that he knew of an up-and-coming new coterie that would be very useful should I ever require someone to do me a favour, someone who has no pre-existing connections with me, you see. Well, that sounds like a very interesting offer. I suppose. Um, I only hope that we are, and I kind of like either others, um, we are worthy of uh, to partake in this agreement. Indeed, says Squizzy. Father Patrick told me all about what you did with the Inquisition four years ago. And you know what? I think... Because of what you did, you may have spared this city from an awful fate. There's been no hide nor hair of them since, after all. And so, I'm incredibly thankful to you for that. And, well, you might have guessed that the reason I've asked you here tonight is not merely to present yourselves to me. And once again, I do apologise that I didn't have the chance to meet with you sooner there is so much going on with this city, and, well, I wish someone else could do it, but I am the prince, whether I like it or not, and I've been incredibly busy. He says, 
Indeed, you may have guessed by now that I called you here tonight because there is something you could do for me. In effect, I'm making good on Father Patrick's promise. Father Patrick looks to the right, looks at Sylvia and past her to the rest of you, and he smiles and he says, I owe Prince Taylor a boon, and, well, I told him that if it was useful to him that he could have you fulfill the boon instead of me. I trust that you won't have any problems with this. Of course not. I can only hope that we are capable enough to accomplish whatever you have in mind. Good, good, says Squizzy. Well, here's what you can do for me. I have a prospective child, someone I've been preparing for the embrace, you see. And I do not offer my embrace lightly. Looks over his shoulder towards the tall, imposing, wild-haired man. And he says, Larson here is my only child so far. The only person who I've seen fit to grace with our gift in all of the time I've been Prince. Larson just nods. Squizzy continues. My child-to-be is named Martin Langley, and he's a man of very many talents. Indeed, I was planning to embrace him tonight, but wouldn't you know, he's been kidnapped. I'm not sure by who, I'm not sure by why, but I do know that there are troublemakers in Melbourne. Those who would do whatever they can to be a nuisance to me, even if it puts the rest of our fine society in danger. And one of them has decided to abscond with my poor Martin. If you're able to find out where Martin is and bring him back to me, well, I'll give you prestige, honour, and, well, let's throw it out right here, I'll give you domain. The city blocks on which your havens stand. I will acknowledge those as your domain, yours to do with as you wish, your own hunting ground. Now that's something neonates of barely four years would love to have, am I right? That does seem like a very big boon, my prince. I still remember when I was a neonate myself, says Squizzy. I didn't have domain. I didn't have anyone willing to give me a helping hand. And so that's why I'm extending this offer to you. Because, you know what? I'm not like other princes. I believe that the little man is what 
props up our society. And, well, I want to help the little man, because I remember when I was the little man, you see. I'll never stoop so low as to offer you cash for this task. That would be tantamount to hiring mercenary thugs, and, well, I don't hire mercenaries. I reach arrangements with friends, and that's what this is, an arrangement. You find Martin, and you'll be my friends, and I'll reward you as friends, and I'll give you domain, prestige, and as you'll have domain, you'll also be entitled to all of the protections that the Camarilla has to offer. He leans further back on the desk, folds his arms together, smiles, and he says, So, what do you say? I don't know about the other two, but I'm certainly up for it. I think that we can very much attempt to do you this favor, Prince, Prince Taylor. Ah, good, good. Favours. Yes, just a favour. Not a task. Favours between friends, that's what it is. Before he has a chance to say anything else, the door to the sanctum suddenly opens, and you look and watch as a man wearing a ill-fitting grey suit, black spectacles and with a plastic earpiece hanging from the side of his wiry unbrushed hair enters the room he briefly looks at you says nothing and then looks at the prince and he says my prince this has just arrived and he hands a shred of paper to the prince prince reaches out takes the piece of paper Rather than reading it, he gestures to the man who just entered, and he says, Ah, yes, and this is my seneschal, Specs. Specs looks towards you, and he smiles, and he says, uh, Yes, uh, Specs. Uh, he takes a step forwards, holds out a hand, and says, uh, Zachariah Smith at your service. Shake it, of course. You each oh. shake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. De- go ahead, Derek. Oh no! Yeah, I was just yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. Just yeah. Pleasure and shake then. <laughs> you shake Zachariah Spex's hand, and then behind him, you see Squizzy briefly look at the note, fold it up, place it into his pocket. Spex looks over at Squizzy, and says, "I told you." He'd come around eventually. Squizzy nods and says, Indeed, good, good. So the deal will come through eventually. He says, But I hope you didn't interrupt my meeting with my new friends just to give me some news about a trade deal. Specs nods and he says, Oh, no, no, of course not. Uh, well... I seem to have, well, in present company, 
He takes a step back, moves towards the prince, leans in and whispers something in his ear. You see the prince's face bristle, his jovial smile turns into a frown for a fraction of a second. And then as Specs withdraws, he nods. He turns towards you and says, Well, my allies, would seem that you've not arrived a moment too soon. You see, Specs here has just received a communique from one of his spies among the Anarchs. You all almost gasp in shock as the prince reveals this. He has spies among the Anarchs. Yep. You were told previously that he'd run them out of the city and was unaware that they'd made a resurgence. Well, this appears to be blatantly untrue. It seems that the kindred responsible for Martin's disappearance is a Nosferatu known as Spider. Spex's agent has said that Spider plans to attend the Black Room tonight, a dishevelled little bar on the outskirts of the rack. A place where those who associate with the Anarchs go to drink and carouse and feed with relative ease. In secret, they think, but unbeknownst to them, Spex has had his talons in for quite some time. Please, please, I want you to go to the Black Room and inform Mr. Spider that I would like my property returned to me. And of course, please mind the masquerade as you do so. Oh. Uh, that's the way you wish us to approach it, Prince Taylor. We shall do that. Ah, good, good, says Squizzy. Specs frowns. You see his lip curl and he says, I am sorry, my prince, but they're neonates. Do you really wish to trust them with this task when I could... Squizzy holds out a hand and cuts him off and says, I think they're well suited to this. Let's give them a chance to prove themselves. Remember, they spared our fine city from the predations of the Inquisition. He then turns to you and he says, Specs would have me send... Well, Specs would have me send Larson here. He gestures to the man behind him. Larson is my scourge, my enforcer. And yes, this would be an easy task for him, but Spider would see him coming a mile away. And yes, I could send the constable to go ask some questions, but again, they would easily know him as one of my agents and well if the constable did somehow manage to solve this problem if younger d's were able to bring martin back well that would give the banu hakim yet another reason to petition for a spot on the primogen council no no you neonates well you have no existing ties to me Mr. Spider will not be aware that you're working for me. 
that gives you good cover. Raises his arm, looks at a watch on his wrist, and he says, Let us say two nights. You have two nights to locate Martin and bring him back. If you do, we shall be good friends. If not, well, I'll be most disappointed. Claps his hands together. Now, I'm not about to simply turn you into the night to find your own way. Not when I can help you. Any questions? Do we know what this spider looks like? He smiles. He's a Nosferatu. He looks like... Well, he looks like bloody roadkill. <laughs> he smiles and laughs under his breath at his own joke. Dude. He then looks over at Specs. And Specs nods, turns to you and says... Spider is in with some of the 1%, one percenters in the city, the biker gangs, the motorcycle clubs, probably still wears his patch from when he was mortal. You can use that to recognise him by. Okay. Do you happen to have a photo of... Um, Martin available? Any information we should know about him? Ah, yes, yes, says Squizzy. Walks around to the back of the mahogany desk, pulls open a drawer, and you hear him rifling through what sounds like loose leaves of paper. You hear the drawer slide and shut. He hands something to Specs, who takes a step forwards and hands it to you. A Polaroid photo of a man in roughly his early to mid-fifties with balding grey hair and a severe look on his face. Okay, may we keep this please? Go ahead, says Squizzy, if it helps you find him. Okay, can anyone else think of anything? Hmm. I guess obviously obviously we have to keep up with the masquerade but are there any other sort of limitations to this favour or are we to accomplish it best how we see fit he looks over at Specs they exchange a silent glance and then Specs nods and Squizzy throws up his hands and says, Anything within reason. If Spider has kidnapped Martin out of some sense of anarch pride or to be malicious, if he offers resistance, well, you have my full authority to put him in his place. Naturally, I'd prefer this to be handled civilly, but there are troublemakers out there and well i have a policy 
someone starts something with you, you be the one to finish it. He smiles coldly. Okay, good to know. Behind him, Larson smiles, mimicking Squizzy's cold grimace. And then he talks for the first time. In a gravelly voice, he says, You find evidence that Spider's working against the Prince? Take him out, or let me know and I'll do the honours. Okay. Will do. Well, says Squizzy, that's pretty much all I know. I know you have some contacts of your own. You might wish to ask them what they know about Spider or the Black Room in general. I wouldn't advise simply walking in blindly, but you never know. Maybe luck will be on your side if you do. He says, I'll call the driver who brought you here to meet you out front. He'll take you wherever you wish to go. If there's any assistance I can provide, well, you can reach me on this number. He nods and specks, steps forwards, and hands Hope a piece of paper upon which is written a phone number. A speck smiles and says, Call it only when you need it. Do not disturb the prince slightly. Squizzy, sta- Squizzy sits down back behind his mahogany desk and you hear the chair groan as he sinks down into it. He says, well, consider yourselves presented and approved to exist in my domain. Best of luck with your favour. He turns to father patrick and he says now patrick if you'll accompany me we have some things to discuss about that anarch yes yes says father patrick i thought it would have been done with at the final death of the sire but well it's nothing i can't handle father patrick sighs stands up then he looks at sylvia smiles and simply says do not embarrass me child and then I wouldn't dream of it. as and then as standish the manservant gestures for you to follow him patrick walks towards the prince bows and stands up straight before him You hear the prince bid you farewell as Standish leads you out of the room and the door to the sanctum shuts behind you. And a few minutes later, you are standing once again in the cold air. The June winter wind blowing against the backs of your necks. The mansion doors behind you 
as the black limousine pulls up, ready to take you to wherever you wish to go. The driver silently nods as he presses a button and the back door pops open. You all clamber into the vehicle as he starts the engine and begins to guide the car down the long driveway out into the streets. What would you like to do? Uh, well, once we've, once we've driven a bit, gotten a, gotten a little bit away from the mansion, Derek basically like sort of lets out almost like a deep breath, like as it, like someone who's nervously holding their breath, even though obviously he doesn't need to. He's <laughs> just like, ah. I know, right? <laughs> <sighs> wow. Okay. okay. I know we don't need to breathe, but I was still holding my breath that entire time. <laughs> <sighs> All right. So we need to do this. Um. Yeah. If we stop the car somewhere, I can make some calls and get us some information. I don't want to make the calls from inside the car. I say, and I shoot the gl- driver says driver aside. I. The driver nods, and. He pulls into, he pulls in to the side of the street, parking the car, uh, parking the car in front of an open park between two large townhouses. A dirt trail runs through this patch of greenery. It's lined on both sides by trees, and in the middle looking like nothing more than a weird, twisted shadow in the darkness. You can see the outline of a children's playground. The driver nods silently back at you, Hope. All right. You two want to come with? Might as well. It's easier than me having to explain it all. Again. Okay. So... The first call is gonna be to my new mauler. Yes. Sage. Pull out your phone as you walk into the park, leaving the limousine behind. Dahlia still in the back seat, and you see her pull out her phone and start swiping something on the screen as she nods at you. And... Move into the park, walk a ways down the dirt trail until you're out of earshot of the driver. And then you sit down on the edge of a metal platform at the bottom of the playground. Pull out your phone and dial Sage's number. Yep. So finger means I don't have to blush. Yes, you don't have to blush because you've implanted the little construction you spoke about last session. And so the others, you see Hope pull out a smartphone and operate it at ease without having to use the blush of life, her skin still remaining as cold and pale as it normally is. Hope, you dial Sage's number. It rings only once before there's a click and you hear Sage say, Ah, Hope, Hope. 
Word on hey. the street is that you had a meeting with the big cheese cam. Yeah. Yeah, I think we kind of got pulled in for a favor, but we did get recognized. So that's something. Well, at the very least, now you can't be put to death for being an illegal embrace, and that's something, but, well, I wouldn't that's trust... That's sort of Damocles, oh. Hmm? Sorry, go. It's the, yeah, it's the sort of Damocles hanging over your head. I wouldn't trust anything Squizzy says about your safety, but at least for the time being, he's got no excuse to send that thug Larson after you. Yeah, what what clan is Squizzy anyway? Sage laughs. <laughs> oh, oh, hope. It is with much shame that I inform you that Prince Squizzy and I share the same blood. Oh. oh. We are both of the Bruja clan. Well, I'm glad we didn't make him mad. Okay. Well, hey, no worries. I mean, you can't pick your relatives, am I right? Trust me, I know all about that. Too right. But I mean, he's such a sellout, though. I mean, our clan, our clan has been officially Anarch for years now. And yet, here's Squizzy, and he's trying his very best, even now, to be the perfect little Cam. Uphold all the traditions. Thinks he's a Ventru, that one. Yeah. Speaking of traditions, why you know about a guy named Spider? Spider, she says. A Nasi Aussie. And why might I ask? Would you be interested in Spider? Uh, the uh, maybe grabbed somebody from the prince. Jackie laughs once again. And you hear, you hear someone in the background say, how the hell would he know about that? It's not like Jackie hisses, Shh! and then she says, okay, let's say, let's say I can tell you about Spider. What's going to happen to him once you get a hold of him? Ideally, we have a talk with him and ask him to give the thing he took back. And where that goes from there, I honestly don't know. And if he doesn't agree to that? Hmm. Well, Squid, well, Larson told us his way he wants us to handle that part, but I don't know if I like his way. Oh no, Larson will just ash him all over the floor. Yeah, that's not... So, I, I don't know. We might need leverage on Spider, which is what... So, uh, ideally, I'd like to cut a bargain with him. To get him off this thing and get him something of better uh, that he likes better. But I'd, ha I'd need to know something about the guy so we don't just go on blind, you know? And you promise that your first impulse won't be to try and kill him? 
Jackie, I can barely bench 60 pounds. <laughs> Please go ahead and make a charisma persuasion or a charisma streetwise check for me. I'm going to go with persuasion. Is she a part of the body mod culture? <laughs> um, she is not actually okay. one of the people who has used your services thus far, but she is someone who sends a lot of clients your way. So you may okay. add a specialty dice in that case. Cool. So that's... Holy gorp! That's that's um, eight successes with a critical. Eight successes. On six dice. Yeah. You hear Sage let out a long breath. And she says, well, I promised I'd be in your corner, so I've got to trust you. Spider is, well, he considers himself an anarch, except he's not really. He draws a lot of attention to himself, and that's not exactly something that serves us well. There have been a few attempts to petition the Baron to have him invited to a rant, or at least to have him meet the Baron, so that she could take stock of him herself, but those haven't come to fruition. He's got a couple of friends in our movement, but, well, he's kind of like you and your coterie. Like, we consider ourselves friendly, but I don't know if we would trust him. Right. As and for that's why, fair, I mean. Yeah, that's fair. As for why, well, see... Even though he's a kindred, let's just say, when you're a Hell's Angel, that's for life. Even when you're no longer alive. And so, he still considers himself part of the gang hangs around with them all the time, usually has at least a couple of thugs following him around. And, well, he doesn't ghoul them or anything, as far as I know, but the thugs who are in his inner circle, some of his oldest, most trusted Hells Angels brothers, they know what he is. Okay, I see why he says he's anarch, okay. And he's not afraid to use his brothers as muscle to get his way. Or just, you know, use them as an attack dog, just sick them on someone who he doesn't like. Oh, wow. She says, so, in fact, it- his methods are so, well, unsubtle that... Even the rest of his clan keep him at arm's length. Suffice to say, if things do go sour, you probably won't be making any enemies among the Nosferatu. You might even have a couple of Nossies who will probably be quite happy that you removed such a shit stain on their clan, if I'm honest. Well, again, we, we, we don't want to kill this guy. But... 
it sounds like he might push the issue. So, okay, okay. She says, so long as it's self-defense. I wouldn't mind if you killed him, to be honest. But remember, he is on the fringes of our movement. And if you kill him, well, there will be some Anarchs who won't like that you did that. His brothers, though, Howl's Angel Scum, he sicks them on you, do whatever you want to them. No one gives a shit about a couple of roided up pigs in biker leathers. Okay. Anything else I can do for you? I look at uh, Sylvia and Derek. Do you guys have anything you want to ask her? Yeah. I I guess that all, yeah, it all sounds pretty good. I mean, other than, I guess, what's the place called again? The Black Box? The Black black, black Room. The Black Room. Uh, just about the Black Room, I guess. What that's oh, like. yeah. Good idea. <laughs> Can you tell me anything about the Black Room? There's silence for a moment, and then once again you hear the other voice in the background, and you can only assume it's Jackie. And she's just saying, Squizzy knows about the black... What the... And I'll say, yeah, we maybe need to have a talk next time we're sitting down. But what he does and doesn't know. Sage says, the black room is... Well, it's like the red star. But rather than being outside of the city in the suburbs where we can safely congregate, it's... Well, it's within the Cam domain, and we thought it was a safe place to meet until now. Well, she says, aside from that, it's essentially like the Red Star. It's a bit of a dive. The mortals that you'll see there are sort of rough around the edges kind of place where you can expect trouble if well if you don't have friends with you and it's run by a run by a gangrel goes by the name thomas roth now he is part of our movement so if something goes down try not to fuck up his bar in fact if you don't mind going against the high and mighty prince, maybe find a way to let him know that Squizzy has his claws in. Let him know he needs to tighten up security somehow. He'll definitely appreciate it. We'll see how the night goes. Uh, yeah, we do have a lot to talk about. He was dropping some big torpedoes of information. Hmm, she says. That I don't like. That seneschal pretty... of his, that specs. Mm -hmm. I don't know where he gets this information from, but that guy, he has his fingers in every pie. All right. Well, now we know. Um, Sylvia, anything you want to ask? Uh, no, 
particularly. Oh, say hi to um Jackie for me. In the background, you just hear the female voice call out, Hi! <laughs> and then Sage says, yeah. Well, as you can hear, Jackie's here, and as of right now, she's making some calls because apparently we have some leaks that we need to deal with. She says, All right. Good luck on your little mission, and just remember... He may seem like your friend, but the prince is not your friend. If yeah, you can find a way to, if you can find a way to not piss him off without, uh, without contributing to his little fascist power play, um, that would be much appreciated. That's why I'm calling you now and telling you what I know. And I appreciate it. Be careful. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And then you hear a click and the line goes dead. Yeah, I don't have that index card that says two things on it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're probably going to... I look at the other two. We're probably going to have to dress down. You're probably going to have to dress down a little bit. If we want to go in there and not look too out of place. Unfortunately, sir. Or or alternatively, you could go dressed like this and maybe use it to give you some sort of sense of authority. Well, that's actually a question. How do you want to approach this? Yeah, how do you want to approach this? I mean, keeping it civil is... Always a good option. Yeah, ideally civil. I don't necessarily want to get into a bar fight tonight. <laughs> All right. Who wants to be point on talking with this guy? Definitely one of you two who has the uh, the mind powers. <laughs> uh, trick is they only go so far and they know when they get used. At least the person getting targeted with them. Oh, okay. Yeah, from what I understand, it's a little more, little more difficult when it's a, another kindred. Can still be done, but yeah, yeah, yeah. more difficult. Like, I, like I've had to put a few people under for operations, and sometimes it bounces. <laughs> and that's probably not pleasant for them when that happens. How else are you going to anesthetize a kindred? <laughs> oh. Tell him, feel no pain. All right. Uh, so, but I mean, do we want to go in, keep it civil, uh, ask him if we can trade something? No. I mean, do we just, yeah, do we go in up front or do we try and lead into it? It's like... I mean, we may as well be blunt, right? Mm. I think yeah. you'll know what we're there for. Yeah, three kindred walk in, he doesn't know, it's gonna... He might just not Probably. immediately assume Squizzy sent you, but he's definitely going to pick up that you've come there for a certain reason, because you're not regulars by any means. I think we should have a talk with the bartender first. 
tell him, look, man, we've, you know, squizzy nose. You send us here to do a thing. We don't like it much. We don't want to bust this place up, but we don't know how that guy's going to react. See if we can get the bartender on our, on our side, right? That's a make sense. Yeah, I think that that works. Yeah. I'm a little worried about that. Um, the biker gang as well, the Hell's Angels. Yeah. Uh, if they're mostly mortal, then it shouldn't be too difficult. If they're mostly mortal, me and Derek can tell them to go reenact singing in the rain outside. <laughs> yeah. I've also since the since our. Uh, embrace yeah, since our embrace weekend. I have picked up a new ability, which yeah, there's another way I can just knock mortals unconscious. Yes, oh, all right. Lots of sleepy whammies. Yeah, which was going to bring me to an aside. I was going to ask you about hope. The uh, your modifications. How long do they usually take? Um, depends on what you want. Yeah, if the simple stuff can be done in a matter of minutes, longer it can take hours. Really complex stuff, that's like a couple of nights. But that's for the really complex stuff. What were you looking at? Yeah, because going off my new thing, the that bone shank, the hidden blade thing you can do. Okay. That one, you generally want a couple of nights... Yeah. Just, uh, it's not too bad, but you want to make sure that the shunt grows in properly so it's not ripping you open when it comes out. And again, that's something that happens with trial and error. But, but you know, two probably, nights is generally a good one for that. Yeah, two nights would be required to get it perfect. But you could probably get a very rudimentary bone shank installed now it just wouldn't be operating at full capacity. Um, but you could do something like, at the very least, get the bone shank installed. It just doesn't retract, and Derek would have to cover it with a sleeve. Oh, yeah, sure. That'd be that'd be simple. Do you want one now? That's out. So it'd be like basically like extended, but I wouldn't just wouldn't be able to retract it. Yeah, until when, well, until Hope has time to actually get all the yeah. internal mechanisms working, you would just essentially have a bone blade sticking out underneath your hand for the time being. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. I would say yes, but also like we'll just leave it for now. Leave it so, for now. I, yeah, because I don't want to go. I don't want to go into this place and have someone notice that I have a bone blade sticking out of my arm. Yeah, yeah. you would have to cover it with a long sleeve or a bandage yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah. So that is a major. Yeah, that is a major modification too. It will weaken your body a little while it's installed. There's no way around that. But you know, if you're willing to take the trade, hey, Assassin's Creed. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, let's go in and talk to the bartender and uh, try that approach since everyone seems to like that. Uh, do you want to change first, or are you happy as is? Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm happy as is. I don't think we'll necessarily oh. have to try and blend in as bikers or something. Yeah, to be fair, oh. it occurs to all three of you that 
the regulars of the bar will know that you're yeah. not regulars, regardless of how you're dressed. It's just that, you know, it might be easier to convince them that you're not here on Prince business if you were dressed appropriately. Right. But you are speaking to the bartender and you're explicitly telling him you're on Prince business, so... Yeah. In that case, it probably doesn't yeah. matter how you're dressed. All right. Well, anyone got any reason we shouldn't go directly there? Is there any supplies or something you want to pick up beforehand? I can't think of anything. Yeah. Is there anything you want to get from your havens or buy? or As far as you know, all you're going in to do is just talk to someone. So you're probably not expecting you know, a fight, but if there's any weird creative plans you have. Honestly, if I need a weapon, I can tell somebody to give me one. Yep. <laughs> so you stand up, step off the playground and return to the limousine. Mm. And so, um, Sylvia, what are you good at these days? Um, I'm, uh, uh, you know, just, I'm okay with roughing people up, I guess. Oh, if okay. If you two do the talking, then I can. Oh, well, uh, uh, I'm a bit of a glass cannon, though, if you get my drift. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we'll try to keep you in away, any, away from any barbecue pits. Yeah. Yeah, and, please. And, and Sylvia may not be aware time. of this, but whenever a Lasombra uses her oblivion there is a chance to get stains just from the act of using it yes i do remember that i thought that was mainly for the higher powers but ooh, any any scary. any power that requires a rouse check so probably not oh, the level oh, one wow. but um so as you reach the limousine the door pops open and you shuffle into the back seat next to dahlia and as you climb in, Dahlia looks at you and informs you that she's had a premonition. Her face is pale and white and she's breathing heavily <sighs> with exertion. Clearly, she's had to work for this one. She describes the premonition to you. You are ushered by a man in a leather vest through a metal doorway. It leads down a small flight of stone stairs into what appears to be an empty lot, paved in asphalt, motorcycles and burnt out cars scattered throughout the small square area, pressed up against wooden fences, blocking it off from the rest of the city. And as soon as you step out into the lot, you hear the clang of the metal door being slammed behind you and suddenly shadowy silhouettes begin to step out of the darkness into the lot, each of them trailing behind them a metal chain. Hmm. So when we step into the lot they're probably going to jump us or at least try to intimidate us. That's yeah. the read I'm getting on this. Yeah, either they 
somehow know we're coming or something will happen that yeah causes him to lead us into an ambush. But about... now we know about it, so yeah, yeah. That you, good thing you know about it. <laughs> now you can prepare. About mm. half an hour later, the limousine is pulling up at the black room, straddled on, straddled on the edge of a narrow side street off a main road, wedged right between Port Melbourne and Albert Park. The black room, you wouldn't know it to be a bar by looking at it. It's nothing more than a square brick building at the edge of a side street. A long concrete path leading from the edge of the side street across an unkempt, overflowing nature strip and front lawn towards the entrance, which is nothing more than a featureless wooden door with old gig posters faded, plastered across it. There is a single front window, but you cannot see through it as someone's pulled black drapes on the other side to completely block out anyone from the street from looking into the building itself and lined up outside across the nature strip you see six or seven motorcycles harley davidson's triumphs all of them of the big american hog variety as the limousine comes to a stop about about two to three buildings length away from the bar the driver looks over his shoulder peers through the glass window that separates the front and the back of the car and smiles and then you hear his voice staticky coming through the speaker saying good luck be waiting at the end of the street if you need me and then okay thank you push open the doors touch down on the ancient cracked asphalt that serves as serves as the street in this run-down part of town and begin walking towards the bar before we head yep. in yep first glance are there any cameras on the outside of this place please make a uh, wits investigation check all right not so many dice there if anyone wants to give it another try themselves by all means please do uh yep yeah, i'll help out with that go ahead make a wits investigation check three successes on my end how did Sylvia go? Ooh, four successes. Four, seven altogether. So as you walk towards the bar, you notice these things. Mounted to a power pole on the very edge of the nature strip, about 10 metres from the entrance of the building, is a single white CCTV camera. It's pointed diagonally down, offering a view of the front of the building and the edge of the side street. Anyone entering or exiting through the front entrance of the bar would be caught on camera and recorded. Okay. 
standing. Doesn't have a good view of the bikes. Doesn't have a good view of the bikes. No. All right. Just the path leading to the door and the door itself. All right. Standing beside the door, leaning up against the brick wall, is a heavy-set, muscular man in jeans and a leather biker's vest. A Hell's Angels logo visible on the breast of the vest. And as he sees you approaching, he just slowly watches you, his cue ball head tracking your approach to the bar next question third thing as the concrete path reaches the entrance it splits off and then winds around the side of the bar leading through a small alleyway between the bar and a laundromat right next door presumably allowing access to the back of the building Alright. Next question. Yep. Do any of those bikes have a spider logo or decal on them? You'd have to go up close to check. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll totally. Oh, yep. wow. They got real Harleys. This must have cost a fortune to import. <laughs> so I'd like you to please make a charisma subterfuge check. All right. Charisma subterfuge. PR five two two successes. Two successes. Uh, so as um, as Derek and Sylvia begin to stroll up the path towards the building, you break off from them, start trudging across the grass, and as you approach the bikes, you just let out a oh well. Cool, real Harleys! And the man standing next to the door looks over at you, and he rolls three successes, and as you approach the bikes, he just calls out, Oi! Stay away from the bikes, love! Sorry, sorry. Nostalgia, you know? You have, head back with the others. you have a fleeting moment to quickly glance at the bikes before you move away. So please make a wits investigation check and you'll have one penalty dice. All right. Wits investigation, one penalty. So three. Uh, two successes. Two successes. In the approximately two to three seconds that you're able to get close enough to the bikes to get a good look. You quickly sweep your gaze over all of them, and with your vampiric vision, your highly tuned hunter senses, you notice the bike at the very, very rightmost end of the line has a big decal of a redback spider emblazoned across the gas tank. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Well, I'll join the others and head toward the door then. You reach the door, and as you're about to step towards it to open it, the biker raises a beefy-looking hand, ordering you to stop. He narrows his eyes and he says, We don't serve your type here. Are you Thomas Roth? 
shakes his head. He says, Mr. Roth's inside, tending the bar. I can tell you're not regulars. What do you want? Well, Miss Miss Sage told me I should tell Thomas Roth a few things. Don't know anyone called Sage, he says, folds his arms together. So is this to all three of us, yeah? Yeah, to all three of you. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure Thomas Roth does know who Sage is. If you want, you can go ask him. Please make a... Please make a charisma persuasion check. All right. Is this guy tatted up nine ways to Sunday? Yeah, he's got heaps of tattoos. He's got a whole... Yeah. His whole right arm is a sleeve. So mostly consisting of various scantily clad angels. So so he's very much in the body mod culture. Okay. Yes, so you can add a persuasion. You can add a specialty. All right. So that's five dice. Hey, this is my food. I know how to talk to it. That's five successes. Five successes. Oh. He crits. gets six successes on his insight. Oh. And he says, maybe, maybe not. But Mr. Roth only serves regulars. So either you tell me what you're here for, <sighs> or you take a bloody hike. I just, I just sort of like give hope, give hope a look of like, do you want to or should I? <laughs> I kind of do a all yours. <laughs> just like yeah. You're gonna dominate so him, like... Derek. Oh yeah. Yep. So, <laughs> is that uh, compel or mesmerize? Uh, mesmerize. Yes. Yeah, so I just, I just sort of like step forward, just like lower my glasses down to the bridge of my nose, so he has a clear like I can look him clearly in the face. Yep, and just then, like, and just yeah. But yep. So are... make a make a rouse check, please. Yeah. But we are regulars. <laughs> uh, seven, so it's a success. Yep, and he's not prepared yes. for that. He has no way to resist it. So once you lock eyes with him, raise your sunglasses and you say, but we are regulars. Please take us to Mr. Roth. He just nods and he says, oh, yeah, no, sorry. I didn't recognize you. No, look, I'll take you to Mr. Roth. He he must be expecting you. And then he steps forwards, groaning as he lifts himself off the wall, steps towards the wooden door and pushes it open, inviting you to step over the threshold into the dim musk on the other side. Yep. Well done. You step comes in handy. You step across the musk and enter the bar. The man shuffles in behind you, pulling the door shut behind him. The bar itself is a dark, scurrilous place, reeking of mortal blood, sweat, and alcohol. Heavy metal music pounds incessantly, and the bodies of the dancers on the 
dance floor, which in reality is just a section of wooden floor partitioned away from the rest of the bar, gyrate wildly. Dangerous-looking individuals lurk in the shadows and seem to watch your every movement. Come with me, says the man. He leads you across the bar, past the discerning looks of several of the regular patrons. Most of them... Most of them looking like various breeds of biker, though some of them don't have any affiliation with biker gangs and are just rough-looking regulars. At least half of them, you suspect, have some sort of criminal ties. And, given the way you're dressed, everyone gives you at least one judging glance as you make your way across the room towards the bar at the very end, which is lit in a green fluorescent glow. The bar itself is nothing more than two wooden counters shoved together with fold-out plastic chairs placed in front of them. Behind the bar is... An odd-looking man with reddish-brown hair that comes down long past his shoulders, running freely over his back. He's wearing a leather jacket, tattered jeans, and a t-shirt faded for a band called Baby Chorus underneath. Oh, those guys are way in the scene. Yeah. And they've been around forever. As you approach the bar, he looks up from the dirty glass that he's cleaning and eyes you. His skin pale glows sickly green in the light. And just by looking at him, you can tell that he is a kindred like you. Someone to see you, Mr. Roth, says biker the man behind the bar looks over and says i wasn't expecting anyone least of all he gestures towards you the biker shrugs and says i don't know they told me you were expecting them and well i didn't want to question it just seemed so convincing and roth sighs he raises a hand cutting off the biker and dismisses him he says go back to your post you're i pay you to be a bouncer not to not a secretary the biker turns he nods to you one more time and then begins to make his way back across the bar towards the entrance roth puts the glass he's cleaning down on the counter behind him in front of a row of liquors of various types and brands and price points. And then he crosses his arms and he says, well, the way you're dressed, you're here on cam business. I looked down at my jean jacket and shrugged. <laughs> Um, drugs, and he yes. says how some of how some of you are dressed at the very least. Um, 
We're actually on here both. Uh, here on both Cam and on our and on our business. How loud's the music in here? He says, "Depends on how loud you need it to be." Um, talking without overhearing, or did you want to go in a room and talk? Uh, or he says, "He says we can talk here, but I'm not used to serving." Cam. So, forgive me, but if you want to be talk without being overheard, you're going to have to convince me of the importance of what you have to say. Well, Sage wanted me to talk with you about the Anarch business, if that matters. Hearing that you've name-dropped Sage, his eyes glimmer with recognition, he smiles and he says, Ah, what, she think you think you're good recruits or something like that? Wants to vouch for you? She saved my ass, buddy. She saved all our asses. Gave us a place to sleep first night in the city. So, and she specifically told me uh, you might want to mention to him that, uh, well, mind if I put something on the jukebox? He looks at you, raises an eyebrow, he says, Now you've got me intrigued. He raises a hand. One of the regulars stands up and says, Yeah? He then makes a hand motion, a circular motion with his finger. The man, he's shout- the man who shouted nods. He steps over to a hi-fi stereo that's pressed up against one of the brick walls, turns a knob on it, and soon the pulsing metal gets louder and louder, drowning out the whispering murmurs of the rest of the bar. Roth leans forwards. He says, say what you gotta say, Thanks. Cam. Uh, well, first thing is uh, Squizzy knows about this place raises his other eyebrow he says squeezy specifically said the anarchs in the city are up to something how could he he trails off he says it's that malkavian bastard it's gotta be you mean sinishal specs he nods he says i see you've had the displeasure of meeting with him yeah, we were in a room with them all uh, earlier tonight. That's the cam business. He says, but I've personally vetted every one of the regulars here, and I don't let any... Well, at least, John's not supposed to let people in unless they're on the list. How the fuck could Specs well... have his spies in here? He starts looking suspiciously around the bar and curls his bottom lip and he says everyone here is someone I go way back with they're my brothers and sisters man I don't I don't know man I don't know how he knows but if they're talking this openly about this in front of neonates (laughs) it's something they don't mind getting out there he frowns he says hmm Good thing my name carries some weight in the movement. Someone's got loose lips. We're going to need to figure out who. 
I'll remember that you were the one who told me, Neonate. If it does turn out to be we true... All he looks at the rest, he says, fine. If it turns out to be true, I'll remember it. Maybe okay. I might owe you a favour. But, hey. surely you didn't come here just to tell me Squizzy knows the movement meet here. No, that, that's the Anarch business. When do you guys want to talk about the cam business, or should I keep on talking? Uh... Yeah, I can. I should. I I can speak for a bit. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, we've been, we've been officially, and I like throw up the hand like air quotes, like officially, been asked by Prince Squizzy, to, speak to one of your patrons. About something he stole from the prince. And we figured we'd come and see you first because, as much as we would like to settle things diplomatically we're not sure how he's going to react so we Roth, thought we would Roth raises you know, an so. eyebrow and he says yeah which patron a nos who goes by spider ah thought so he hmm. says and what business do you have with him cam business with spider can't be a good thing yeah, well, yeah, as I said, Spider decided to take something of interest to the prince, and the prince wants it back. Hmm. First I've heard of it, but... Well, wait here a moment, he says. He gestures towards the seats. He turns around and disappears through a door behind the bar into a back room, leaving you alone. And as soon as he leaves, you just see all the regulars immediately turn, staring intently at you. I smile. <laughs> you smile back. Most of them... Well, um... Most of them seem to... be focusing on Sylvia and Dahlia more than anyone else, even leering... You can't tell if they're mortal or kindred, but the majority of them must be mortal. And Sylvia, you feel your skin crawl as you realise that this is the type of bar where women in formal dress are a very rare sight. And so you're forced to endure this judgmental leering for about five more minutes until Roth returns from the back room. He looks at you and he says, Fine. Come. The spider's waiting for you. And I'll, and I'll look to Dahlia. He the guy? Ah, oh, sorry. What'd you say? I'll ask, ask her. He the guy in the vision? Jerk my head toward uh, the gangrel. She frowns and she says, I can't quite see in this darkness, but right. no, not not the bartender. All right, cool. Sure, lead on. He gestures for you to follow him and he leads you through the door behind the counter into a narrow brick hallway. On the right, there's 
a door to the toilets and there's an awful stench wafting from within. You follow him for another minute as he leads you around a corner past what passes as his office, a narrow room about the size and shape of a closet with a single desk shoved inside with a computer on it. And at the end of the hallway, there's a metal door, patches of rust upon it, dimly lit. You can barely see the, you could barely see the metal placard at the top of the door. He gestures towards the door and he says, Spider's waning on the other side. Thanks. I just like, I just like look to Dahlia and I'm like, is any of this familiar? <laughs> she screws up her head and says that there was a metal door, but I only saw it as we passed through it and what's the matter, says Roth. Yeah. No, nothing. I'm just gonna, as we're heading in, I just bite my tongue to draw some blood. Yep. So as you as approach- I'm going to try a quick insight on Roth. Yeah, please, you know. go ahead and make Ooh, a- you hungry? Wits insight or resolve insight? Oh, resolve insight, sorry. I would have gone with that if I'd known, that's much better. Hang on. Three successes. Three successes. As he gestures towards the door again and says, Spider's waiting for you. He's smiling and his smile seems... There's a tinge of knowing glee to it. I'm going to rouse dexterity before we open that door. Yep. And I'm going to get hungry. So I'm up to hunger three, three, but now I'm more dexterous. All right. As you approach the door, I would like everyone to make a wits awareness check, please. Okay, fear my mighty four dice. Three successes. Three successes. Three successes. So, Sylvia, you're the first to see as you step towards the door. The metal placard, the words written on it, you can just make them out. It reads, Fire Escape. I stop. Wait, it's just it's just us and the bartender right now. Yes. In this little hole. Just you and the bartender. It instantly stopped and like hold out a hand. Although I assume the others have also stopped. Yeah, mm. as they see, as they read the words "fire escape" imprinted on the door. Um, sorry, Mister Roth, is Spider meeting us in a stairwell? You know the sorts of places where the Nos like to hang out. He says, letting the words hang on the air. Don't you worry your pretty head, darling. Spider will see you soon enough. All right. You just remember, we talked to you first because we didn't want to cause trouble to your bar or you. All right. He says, 
just the same. I know sometimes the cam like to buy their trust with fake gifts. Until I've spoken to my contacts, I can't even know whether what you've told me is true. I've got to look out for myself, he says. Gotcha. All right. He says, I'm sure you'll have proven where your allegiances lie very soon. (sighs) Let's get this over with, guys. Well, hold on. I mean, there's how many... Well, many people out there, and there's only one of him, so... Yeah. That's true. But he's a vampire. Yeah. Well, that said, you don't know if the ones in in Dahlia's um, premonition are vampires, but this place doesn't seem to be exactly crawling with them. Mm, okay. Let's go have a talk with the folks outside. You sure? Fine. <laughs> so, Hope, you step forwards, grab the rusty... I mean, yep. unless you, unless somebody else wants to do something, I'm open to suggestions. Hmm? No. All right. Hope you step forwards, grab the rusty door handle and pull it to the right. The metal door creaks as you push it open. And sure enough, as you probably expected, on the other side is a short concrete set of stairs. Three three steps leading down into an open asphalt backyard fenced in with tall wooden fences burnt out cars and yet more motorcycles in various states of disassembly scattered around the only light being the ambient light from a single light bulb above the door everything else dimly everything else dimly lit with pitch blackness at the very edges of the yard Behind you, Dahlia whispers, This is it. This is it. Yeah. So you step through the door, and as soon as you're all through it, you hear Roth reaching forwards, grabbing the door and pulling it shut with a slam behind you. And then you hear the rattle of metal chains as silhouettes begin to step out of the shadows into the middle of the yard. Four of them, each of them dressed in biker leathers, Hell's Angels insignias emblazoned on their backs and shoulders. One of them, one of them a pubal bold, overweight man drags his chain along the ground behind him he rubs the brown goatee under his fat lip smiles cruelly and says you're looking for spider you have to get through us first i accept your terms he looks from left to right at the other bikers who stand who stand shoulder to shoulder with him. Also, 
beat your friends unconscious than sit in the corner and weep while you think about your life choices, please. <laughs> Mesmerize. Mesmerize, go ahead, make a rouse check. I get hungrier. Oh dear. He has no Before. way to resist this. So you lock <laughs> eyes with him and you speak your command. His mouth opens. He falters mid-sentence. And then he says, On second thought, maybe I'll sit this one out. And then he turns, takes a step back into the darkness, and with a great groan, you see this blubbering oh. man lower himself down onto the asphalt and lean against one of the deconstructed bikes. He throws his arm forwards and tosses the chain into a nearby wooden crate. The other that three... wasn't exactly the command, but okay. Oh, what, you told him to go. What did you? What was the I, command? I Sorry. told. I told him, beat your friends unconscious, then oh, yeah, go beat sit your down friend. and oh. think about your life choices. I didn't hear the first part. I just heard, think about your life choices. Yeah. Then go weep and think about your life That was the second part because mesmerized can get yeah, a little complicated. Right. So he sits there for a moment looking at his friends as they just look back at him and one of them says, what the fuck, Hearst? We're going to beat these, got to beat these bastards up, remember? And then he looks up at his friend and he smiles and he says, oh yeah, that's right. He groans once more, climbs to his feet, reaches into the crate in front of him, pulls out the chain and then without warning, he lashes his arm forward, striking the man in front of him with the chain. It hits the man in front of him, dealing, uh, let me see. Uh, let me see. So that's going to be six. That's going to be six. Cool. He strikes the man in front of him with the chain, dealing three points of superficial damage. The other man, stunned by the blow, falls to the ground. And then one of the other men steps forwards, raises his chain and says, What the hell's gotten into you, Hurst? The fourth man, the fourth man keeps shifting his gaze between the commotion going on behind him and you, takes a step forwards, raises the chain, points at you, Hope, and he says, what the fuck are you doing here? Sorry, so there's, is there four of them in total, is there? So four of them in total, one of them yeah. is attacking his friend. A second yeah. one is on the floor struggling to get up and a third one is trying to defuse the situation while the fourth one is just raising his chain, pointing at Hope and saying, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I just, I'm just going to like, I just put a hand on Hope's shoulder and walk past her and then I'm just going to, you know, just sort of, uh, sort of like what the firebreathers do when they spit the methane, like I just spray a mist of blood in his face. Ooh, well, yes. spray, spray my scorpionated blood at him. Yes. Oh, Lord. Ooh, yes. So I have to make an attack yep. roll for this. Uh, please make a rouse check first, though. Uh, yeah, I did that I did that in the hallway. That's why I mentioned it earlier. Ah, it takes a while to blood. generate the blood. So, so yeah. yep, yep. Mm -hmm. Go so ahead. Make a big dex athletics roll. Yep. Dex athletics roll, and it is to... I'm just looking it up in the book. 
it's a it's a ritual or an actual power. Uh, it's one of the yeah, one of the blood sorcerer powers. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. So, actual I'm power. Sure yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure this counts as me making like a ranged attack roll. Yes, basically. yeah. What, what, uh, so it's Scorpion's Touch, yeah? Level three? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes, yeah. Oof. Okay, nice. so yeah. Um, yes. So you're going to make uh, a strength or a dex plus blood sorcery roll. Ooh, okay. And it's going to be against uh, his stamina. He doesn't have fortitude because he's not a vampire and he doesn't have any. Yes. Where's one dot of a cult? Because Spider told him who he is, so he gets. Oh, uh, which strength? So he gets a dice pool of four on this. Two, three, and then blood sorcery is also three. Mm. We need to save at least one for questioning. <laughs> I'm not looking to kill any of these guys, but we don't want to knock out. But at least one needs to be conscious. Though life choices guy is probably gonna win. Uh, Almost too bad for him. Yeah. Well, that's four successes with one of them's a one, but only the one one. So I don't think that does anything. Yep. I feel bad for all of them. Yeah. Yeah, but he has to cry over life choices. That's the worst yeah. kind of suffering. Mm. So he attempts. He has no idea what's coming. He just sees you step forwards, and as you arc your head to spit, he just looks at you with a confused look on his face. Raises his chain and begins swinging it through the air. Then you spit your blood, and once he sees the spray, he attempts to dodge, but he only gets one success. So your blood hits him. So now that it hit him, go ahead and make a strength plus blood sorcery roll. That is only one success. Only one success? It's okay. He botched entirely and got no successes. Yay! As he ducks to dodge the spray, some of the blood lands square on his forehead. Immediately you hear a hissing sound. As the acidic blood begins to burn into his skin, he shrieks in pain. Ah! As he takes one point of aggravated damage, his eyes immediately roll back in his head and he falls backwards, immediately unconscious from the pain and the poison within your blood. Meanwhile, the... Meanwhile, the one known as Hearst, the apparent leader, stands over his friend and he's just smashing the chain into his head over and over as his friend steps forwards, grabs him by the arm and pulls him away. He's beaten his friend unconscious and then he looks over at you and he says, There you go, doll! And he tosses his chain in front of him on the asphalt and then just drops to the floor crossing his legs and arms and sitting patiently the last remaining biker still holding his chain looks between you his unconscious friends and his other friend who's just sitting there and he's saying what come on hearse we got it turns to you, raises his chain, and then without warning, he screams, and runs at Derek. Sylvia, you going to do something? Yep, Sylvia, you got a chance to do something, if you like. 
uh, I will run up, try to intercept, and um, I'll, I'll try out Touch of Oblivion. Ooh. So oh, I have to yes. boy. make a rouse trick first. Yes, please make uh, a rouse oh, trick. Wow. That's a one. That's great. That's a one, so that's a stain. You're hungry. Yep. You're hungry. Oh, get, your hunger oh. goes up to three, and you also get a stain. Incredible. But it does not trigger a conscience check. Lovely. Okay, yep. Um, oh, it doesn't? Uh, okay. The ones from Oblivion don't, I believe. It's just Oh, they just stain. make it worse if you yeah, have an Yeah, they just make it worse stain. for okay. when you eventually get your um conscience check. Mm-hmm. So... You tap into your Lasombra blood, Sylvia. You summon the powers of the abyss and you pierce the veil between this world and the next, calling forth something that should not be using your touch of oblivion. And then you run towards him, holding out your hand, your fingertips now glowing with oily black oily black eldritch darkness and you attempt to touch him uh yes uh, so i have to make a strength and brawl yep, make roll a strength and... brawl roll please um three successes three successes three successes to his four successes he sees sees the darkness on the edge of your fingertips you see his eyes go wide and he just says what the fuck and he steps back changes the trajectory of his chain and swings it in your direction please make a uh strength brawl or a dex athletics check to dodge Uh, two successes. Two successes. He gets four, and he shouts, Oh, you stay the fuck away from me, lady, as he slams his chain into your body, dealing two points of superficial damage to you. Oh, okay. And tearing, tearing the hem of your dress as it catches on the side of the chain. Okay. It is, uh... So, Derek, would you like to do something? It's another round. Oh. <laughs> I got something I can do, too, if you don't want to. Here, go. Eh. I'll see if I can just... Sure. I, yeah, I'll see if I can try and... I'll harken back to the day of the Father John's mission, I'll just look at the guy and just go, go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> this time he's ready for it, though, so please... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So please go ahead and make your uh Yep, do your rouse check, please. Yeah, so it's eight, so I don't get hungrier. Don't get hungrier, and now please make okay. your uh dominate plus manipulation check. Yes, with a plus one because of my resonance. Yes, plus one because of your resonance, indeed. Yes. Uh, wait, manipulation. And he only has a mental help pool of three, so he's only getting three for this. Three, two, plus one. Branch little stick. (laughs) 
Oh, damn. <laughs> Three, four. Uh, that is five successes. Five successes to his... Three successes. He raises his chain. He says, Go to sleep, what the... F-? Uh, and then he drops the chain and just falls forward, snoring immediately. Things appear to be quiet. I'd like everyone to make a wits awareness check, please. Okay. One success. Uh, Two successes, and I got a single one on the hunger dice, so if that fails, then it's a bestial fit. (laughs) Yeah, somehow two successes. (laughs) Two successes, okay. So, you still got at least one success. It's not a bestial failure. Okay. However, working on a dice pool of six here. So, three successes. So, neither of you sees the fifth man approach. You're alerted at the very last moment, hearing shuffling behind you, and you whirl around to see the fifth man steps seemingly out of thin air, his eyes bloodshot, red, a ghoul, as he reaches for his belt and shing, withdraws a long, gnarly-looking knife. And then, Sylvia being the one closest to him, he raises the knife, and rushes at her, taking advantage of her surprise. So he's going to get one additional dice. Sylvia, would you like to dodge, or would you like to try to catch him with your touch of oblivion? Because uh, it's still active. I think, I think it only lasts one turn. Yeah, but oh. but um, it would be act- you activated it at the end of last turn, so I would rule that it stops being inactive at the end of this turn, so exactly one turn passes between you activating it and now. So I would say it's still active. Sure, I'll try. I won't argue against that. Yeah, Yeah, but if you choose not to use it now, then it will stop being active. I will try and use it. Alright, so please go ahead and make a strength brawl check. And I'm pretty sure you can rouse the blood on that if you want. I won't. Uh, those four successes. Four successes to his three successes. He may have gotten a drop on you with his obfuscate, but as he raises the knife and slams it through the air, you duck and then reach out and wrap your hand around his arm. He instantly screams, Ah! As he takes two points of aggravated damage and the skin on his arm begins to putrefy, turning black immediately drops the knife, clasps his arm as you see the flesh begin to roil and char, and then to your horror, you hear a sickening squelch as a large chunk of his underarm just breaks off and drops to the ground, revealing clear bone underneath. Oh my god. His eyes go wide. Uh, uh, What? What did you do? What have you done? It's been a while since I tried that, alright. I'm going to... 
to run up and kick him in the head and try to put him into merciful unconsciousness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please make a strength brawl check of your own. Dexterity brawl? A dexterity brawl, yep. All right. Okay, so that's six dice, hunger four. He's going to uh, attempt to dodge, but he gets two penalty dice because he's freaking out over his arm. Only three successes. Only three successes. With his penalty dice, he has two successes. So that's a whopping one point of subduel. <laughs> as he clutches his arm, he sees you coming, and his eyes still as wide as saucers. He takes a step backwards, and but not far enough, your foot collides with the side of his head. He yelps in pain and then drops to his knees, still clutching his putrefying arm. He looks up at you and he says, No! No more! No more! All right. All right. All right, you surrendered. Okay. Okay, you guys you guys need to talk to him because I need to... My fangs are out without knowing. I need to... And I look toward the weeping guy, who I'm guessing has tattoos and piercings yep, and yep. whatnot. These are bikers, they're all covered in various forms I of tats. I need to take care of something. <laughs> and then as I'll the on the back and just like you do that. <laughs> are you going you to as well? You need to feed too, Sylvia. Are you gonna take advantage of Yeah, this one who whose arm I destroyed. I'll take yep. a sip. Uh, no, he needs to answer. Well, he needs to answer question. But yeah, well, a sip, just oh, you know, no, just one, just one. Let me just oh, check it... your predator type because you are a grave robber, and yeah, yeah you have no feeding. Robber. You have no feeding restrictions, so you grave can still robber. feed from normal living people. Sometimes I wonder why. So behind you, hope turns around and looking like looking really antsy, like a like. Almost like an addict jostling for her fix, yeah. she moves towards Hearst, who's just sitting on the ground, weeping in front of his Shh. unconscious friend. Shh. It's okay. Give me a hug. You lean Shh. over, bare your fangs, pierce his neck, and feel the sweet nectar flowing through you. What hunger are you at? Four. Oh, please. As the blood begins to flow from his vein into your mouth, please roll for hunger frenzy. That is resolve plus composure plus two thirds of my hum plus my humanity divided by three, if I'm correct. That yeah? is correct. Oh or you can just God. roll your willpower if you want it to be simple. Oh, I would like to have eight dice on this. <laughs> because hope got resolve for days, and that's seven successes with a critical. Seven oh, successes. Three. For the briefest of moments, you feel your beast roaring within you. This man tried to... This man was going to kill you. Drain him dry. He doesn't deserve to live, but you compose yourself. You take just what you need. And then at the last possible moment, as you feel the beating of his heart drawing weaker, as you hear him gasp for breath, you will yourself to withdraw. You remove your fangs. Reset your hunger to one, and he had a melancholic resonance, granting <sighs> an extra dice to fortitude and obfuscate if you have either, which I don't believe you nope. do. Nope. I just feel sad. 
Alright. Meanwhile, as Derek, watches, as Derek watches, Sylvia steps forwards, and as the ghoul clutches his arm, which even now is still putrefying, the black, the sickly blackness spreading from his wrist up past his elbow and towards his shoulder, the bare bone still visible. Sylvia casually leans forwards, and he doesn't even attempt to struggle as she sinks her fangs into his neck. Sylvia, his blood tastes odd. At first, it tastes like normal human blood, that same sickly sweet taste like fine wine, but then something earthy, rustic is added to it, and then a third taste, something dead, decaying. There is a hint of cloying death and decay in his blood, probably from your touch of oblivion. What is your <laughs> hunger at, Sylvia? It's at three right now. Three, so no hunger frenzy for you. So you drink it for a few moments until the sickly death becomes too much for you to bear and then you withdraw reset your hunger to one the man the man's screams have turned to terrified terrified whimpers as he just sits okay. in front of you staring clutching okay. his arm where is Martin Langley I can fix your arm if you tell me where is Martin Langley? Please go ahead and make a charisma or manipulation persuasion check. Uh, I'm being honest. All right, well, then I charisma. don't suppose he's all tatted up, is he? <laughs> um, he is, yeah. So get a persuasion. Hey. He's a biker. They're all bikers. Yeah, I've, this, I've this never is, seen a non-tattooed biker of you. I'm in the middle of an, in the middle of a buffet here. I mean, right. not that I've seen a lot of them, but you know, whenever they're on TV, they're always got tattoos. Three successes. Three successes. He looks up as you approach him, and when you mention fixing his arm, he just nods. Yeah, yeah, yes. He Where's holds Martin out. Langley? Holds out his arm, and then he says, "Spiders waiting. His his uh, haven." Ooh. Warehouse down Port Melbourne. I could give you the address. Please do, and he I'll says, start figuring. He says he, he he knew someone from the cam would c come looking. Told us All right. to beat up whoever came and bring them to him, so he could. So he could. He trails off. Then he holds out his right. arm. He says, fix it, please. I am. I rouse the blood and I sink my fingers in. First thing I'm going to do is pinch the nerve so he doesn't feel pain. <laughs> and as you pinch the nerve, his whimpers stop and he just lets out a... <sighs> and then I start... And then I excise the infected flesh before it can spread further. You excise the infected flesh and Sylvia and Derek behind you just watch as with another sickly squelch, 
the infected flesh drops off, leaving essentially just his bone with scraps of muscle and tendons hanging from it. I'm going to pretty much suture the tendons and muscles as best I can. I know they're thinned out, but I'll try and get it back to where they're not sticking out. Actually, should I do a medical check to see how much of his arm I can repair? Yes, please make an intelligence medicine check. Yeah, this see, this power is na- he used is nasty. This is something <laughs> that's going to yeah. intelligence medicine. That's five dice with my flesh crafting specialty. Um, just between like all the feeding and all that, uh, Derek's like t- picked up the knife to like take it away from the guy. Yep, you just yeah. reach down, pick up this knife, and as you pick it up. You notice, Derek, that it doesn't appear to be a normal knife. Rather, the blade, the edge of it, is tipped with silver. Oh, nice. Save that one. So that's three successes to repair his arm as best I can. So Probably not going to be perfect. but You, you can't know. restore all of what Sylvia's touch of oblivion mm-hmm. removed, but taking some of the flesh from his other arm, you're able to at Mm. least cover up the bone, leaving him with his right arm being slightly less muscled than earlier and his left arm looking like a scrawny, bony appendage. But you restore enough of the muscles and tendons that with time... If he's able to engage in a vigorous workout routine, he may be able to regain some of what he lost. Oh, he's a ghoul, so there's good odds there. Okay. Well, I've still got my fingers buried in his arteries, so what's that address? He looks up, looks into your eyes, and his bloodshot eyes, you see them waver with a mixture of fear, pain, and sadness. He just stammers. Uh, Old apartment building, basement, 223 Beach Street, across from Prince's Pier. With that, the exertion takes over, and he just sinks into a dead faint. Shloop. I peel his eyelids up the regular way and say, hey, forget about that, too. (laughs) And just as he groans groans, uh, uh, and sinks into unconsciousness, you bark your command. When he awakens, he will remember none of this. They're looking down at what's left of his arm. There are scars there that will likely never heal. All right. I start stripping off his jacket and his pants and his shirt. <sighs> this is going to take a minute. Can you make sure the other guys have forgotten too? <laughs> and I study his face. His motorcycle. <laughs> I study his face as I start reshaping mine. Yep. So I would. Yeah. Uh, so Derek. Another you... rouse check? Yep. Make another rouse right. check. Success. I'm Success. good at this. So as Derek walks up to the lone remaining awoken biker, commanding him to forget, and his sobbing stops 
fades away into stunned silence. Sylvia, you just watch as hope stands over this ghoul. And over the course of the next few minutes, her face wobbles and melts and reforms into a spitting image of his own. The build of her body changes, taking on the appearance and stature of someone arguably more masculine. And I heard his voice, so it's not hard to hear his to, voice. Yeah, there and we can go. mimic his voice. There we go. His name, however. But you're in luck. As you go to. As you. Turn away from everyone else and start to pull on his jeans and leathers yep. over your own phone, clothes. Wallet. Yeah. His phone and wallet are right there where you expect them to be in his vest pocket. Open his wallet okay. and you see his driver's license. It's a couple years out of date, hasn't been renewed, hasn't been renewed and has passed its expiry date of 2006 and the picture of him on the license is absent the blood-stained eyes but you have his name there Broderick II date of birth 11th of the 9th 1977 44 uh, 42 actually behind oh, you 44 yeah you hear the sound of the fire escape door opening and you watch lie down quick lie down quick you're gonna lie down what it's gonna say what you was... hear the sound of the fire door opening and then clapping Let's just oh. lie down anyway. <laughs> you... Oh, never mind. Too late. <laughs> As Thomas late. Roth steps out into the yard, he looks around, sees the aftermath of the sees the aftermath of the fight, smiles approvingly. He looks over at you, still clapping, and he says, "Well." <laughs> Looks like Spider's little trap didn't even phase you. <laughs> he says, look, Cam or not, anyone who can hold their own against five bikers, well, you've got my respect. Kudos. He says, look, he says, I knew a lot all along where Spider was. I know where Martin Langley is, and, well, if you didn't outright admit to being part of the cam, maybe I would have told you. But, hey, I've seen you fight. I don't want to fuck with you. Got what you were looking for? He asks, looking over at you, taking note of... Taking note of Broderick lying unconscious on the floor and Rose standing over him wearing his clothes. And then his eyes narrow and he says, Hang on. You took his face? Oh, just borrowing it. How can you even... He narrows his eyes more and we he says... We all have secrets there. Narrows his eyes and says, 
I heard you were a caitiff. I am, but I've got some tricks. And I offer him a business card. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk to Jackie? Reach under Broderick's leathers into your own pocket. Pull out a business card and thumb it to him. As he takes it and reads it, I'd like you to please make a manipulation subterfuge check. Three successes. He reads your name, and then he raises an eyebrow, and he says, Hmm, caitiff with flesh crafting. I don't know, my sire. That's true. He says, Antela Sombra. Then he looks at Derek, and he says, And Tremere. (laughs) I don't know what to make of it, but you said it right, friend. Everyone has secrets. Don't worry. Yours is safe with me. So long as I can ask for a little favor every now and then. My prices are reasonable. Go through Jackie. She's my manager. He smiles. He says, well, you got what you were looking for. So, tell you what, he walks over to the fence at the very back of the yard. There, for the first time, you see a small wooden gate. It's probably how the bikers entered in the first place. He reaches down, lifts up a metal latch, pushes the gate open. It creaks as it slides open, allowing access to the dark streets outside. He says... You can take the back exit. Thanks. Let's just say you've earned my grudging respect, but the ones inside, well, I've got appearances to keep up, and everyone was fully expecting you not to come back through there tonight. That makes sense. Uh, Do you know if my good buddy Mr. Two here has a bike or a car? He says, yeah. When you head out front, look for the bike with the flame along the side. All right. He says, make sure you bring it back, though. Oh, I know better than to start that kind of feud. (laughs) He smiles and nods. Good. Well, Cam, hopefully I won't see you again for quite a while. But if I do... Maybe next time you can do something for me. Best of luck with Spider. And remember, I'll be waiting eagerly to hear how this all turns out. And with that, we end this week's session. All right. You each gain two experience points. So getting, I'm aiming for five each story, so you get two this session, and then next session when you finish the story, you get three more. And you've made a good start on your investigation. You know where to look for Spider, where Martin Langley can be found, and you happened to impress a member of the Anarchs. And if you play your cards well, 
then perhaps Thomas Roth, who just happens to be one of the two Anarch Reeves, the enforcers of the movement, may be able to vouch for you and you may have your foot in the door. Hope you enjoyed that session because I did. I think that was a good post time skip session. I'm sorry the others missed out on it. Don't Uh. worry, they've got the recording they can listen to. So they'll be able to catch up at least. But um, yeah. Next. You guys get some badass tricks. Holy crap. Yeah. Well, so do you, Mr. Zemis. (laughs) And can't say I was expecting the Tremere to be able to spit blood this early, but that was a good. That was a cool thing to do. Yeah. yeah. No, that's yeah. I, sa- I saved up all my XP just so I can get my third dot in blood sorcery. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That that's fair enough. I think because you got because you got like one dot for free character creation, then another dot from your predator type, and then yeah. your third dot. Yeah. Because your predator type would be a Cyrus. Experience. Yeah. 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 Cyrus. Yeah. Because I'm a Tremere. Tremere. Yeah. I can that's take right. another dot in blood sorcery. Yeah, well, that was a fun session. Um, yeah. I'll make sure I get the recording edited nice and quickly so those who missed can um, see what happened. But Very quick question. Sorry, I, just about yep. Derek. Uh, does yep. Derek have the folkloric bane floor? I was just... I remember oh, you said something about it in the first session. Ah, do you have a folkloric bane, Derek? I'm just wondering whether the, the cross is causing any issues. Well, it depends what he took as his folkloric bane, because... Yeah. You get you can so choose actually, what it is. Like yeah. I once upon a time played a very hyper religious Catholic mob boss who was afraid to go through running water because he believed all the old religious tales about vampires. Yeah, so we don't I, actually know what Derek's folkloric bane is. What do you think it is, Derek? Hmm. Oh, I actually know what it is. Oh, yep. Uh, it hasn't come actually, up yet, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. It's actually, yeah, just because of my hunting type, I actually now I have three folkloric banes and one folkloric blood. Oh, wow. Oh, oh wow. Oh. <laughs> and yeah, none, of them are, taboos. none of them are crosses, hopefully? No, yeah, not, none of them are religious symbols, no. Excellent, yeah. okay. <laughs> I just went, see, I just got pre-exclusion, from, but, I mean, that's we're fighting enough. stuff I'm a scene queen of right here. Yeah. This is literally a buffet. <laughs> yeah, two scene queens, because Dahlia's one as well. So, we'll be back in two weeks for part two of Safer's Houses. Make sure to join Thanks us for then for some more Vampire or War for the Second City. This was Safe as Houses, episode four of Vampire War for the Second City. A Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition Actual Play Podcast presented by DM Fiat. With me, Dale, as Storyteller, Lost Demiurge as Hope, Quen as Sylvia, Enigma as The Clear Dusty, Paradox Mimic as Derek, Mr. Dadlin as Desmond, and Shay Luck as Dahlia. Music was created by Kevin McLeod and is used with permission. Vampire the Masquerade and the World of Darkness are the registered trademarks and property of White Wolf Entertainment and Paradox Game Studios.